Yeah, would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for um, bringing us to your house today. Thank you for this opportunity that we have now to share the Word of God. Holy Spirit, I am going to ask you boldly that you will speak to hearts today. Um, Father, this is an essential part of what you have for us in this armor of God. And Father, I want to thank you that you have placed people here today. They think it was their decision to get up and come to this church for this message. But I truly believe that you have orchestrated in your divine plan. And there are many divine appointments that are being made and kept right now. Holy Spirit, no pastor, no speaker can bring truth into the heart. Only you could do that. We could present truth to the ears, but only you could take it to the heart. And I really want to pray for us, God, today that we will hear your word. Father, herein lies the victory that you want us to have. So, Holy Spirit, charge the atmosphere. As the song says, just fill it. Fill it with your presence. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you are here today at Dorsal. And I mean that too. What an incredible day already. If you were able to be there at that 9 o'clock meeting and hear about Operation Christmas Child, that was incredible. And then to get part number two here was just incredible. In case you have not figured it out, let me make the tie-in for you. That is, sometimes, you know, candle wax can be molded into many different forms. Have you noticed that? Do you know that? And you probably have figured out already that candle wax, your candle that you're supposed to go let shine, can sometimes look like a shoebox. And one way you can take your candle around this world is commit today on September the 25th and say, we are going to be a participant in shoeboxes. We are going to participate. Now, I tell you, let, let me tell you the benefit of that. One of my favorite commercials these days are the Snickers commercials where they take a person and, and, and they're being grumpy and grouchy and, and they give them a Snickers bar. Here you need a Snickers bar and they're different. The favorite one right now is that famous picture of Marilyn Monroe and she's on top of the vent holding her dress down, you know. And, and so the, the scene opens and they got some actor dude I've seen before, some actor dude, and he's in this white dress, you know, he's going... Who, who, whose crazy idea was it to put a blonde on top of an air vent anyway? Whose idea? And she goes, here, Marilyn, you need to eat this Snickers bar. And eats the Snickers bar and goes back, and all of a sudden it's Marilyn Monroe. The great thing about shoeboxes is it's like a Snickers bar spiritually. When we serve people, when we minister, when we give, we're just better Christians. In fact, your wife would tell you, you're a better husband. So there is a benefit for us somehow, I can't explain it to you, but Jesus, you know, is the reason. But for some reason, when we give and we celebrate like this and we share, we are just happier people. And so mark it down. This, In fact, do it this week. Do it this week. Go ahead and go to the Dollar General or wherever you're going to go and get your stuff and start planting your shoebox because sometimes that candle looks exactly like that. Well, we've been on this incredible journey 
in another way of trying to be more victorious believers in Christ. And I know it seems like it's gone on forever. We've never done a series this long, I promise you. We've got about three more weeks, and we'll be moving on in the fall to Unbroken, another whole different series. Um, but, but as we have done this, I hope you've really got a grasp on it. And then the last four, five, six weeks, when we, when we did a series within a series and talked about the armor of God, and today is just so important. As I've realized, I guess, through the year that we've taught this year, um, this topic has come up many, many times, and we're probably not done with it yet, and that is this idea, the concept of the Word of God. We've been taking our scriptures from Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and this is kind of the thrust of it, uh, no pun intended with the sword, this is the thrust of it, all right? Ephesians six fourteen. Paul says, remember Paul is an apostle, he's a teacher of Jesus, follower of Jesus. He's, he's in a Roman prison when he's writing this, okay? So everywhere in his world he looks, he sees Roman soldiers. And so he's trying to say, what, how can I teach this material? How can I anchor it in their hearts? And so he looks at this Roman soldier and goes, ah, there's a great example. So he writes these words. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And we talked about the importance of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and what that means. Having shod your feet or put on your feet um, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Every good Roman soldier had a good pair of shoes. And he said, we should be prepared to share the gospel of peace. Um, Brent shared about taking, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'd be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We talked about that. And then last week we did, and take the helmet of salvation. All right. And that was a really important one for me personally. And finally, we get to this. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul looks at that Roman soldier. He sees this sword that he's carrying. He says, now listen, we need to pick up this sword, which is the Word of God. Why is that so important? Well, a famous person once said, tongue-in-cheek, a soldier without his weapon is destined to perish. Doesn't that sound profound? A soldier without his weapon is destined to perish. You might say, Dwayne, who said that? I did. It sounded so good. I figured somebody must have said it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But here's what did happen. Um, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. Now, I know this is like history and a lot of y'all going history, you know. But, you know, D-Day still remains uh, one of the biggest events in in our modern history. Uh, June 6, 1944 when the Allied soldiers landed on that Normandy beach in, in France and really began turning over that tyranny of Adolf Hitler in World War II. You know, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., now this would have been the president's grandson, um, he, he, he was 56 years old. He was the oldest officer to land on D-Day, and he begged. He, he walked with a cane. He had arthritis so bad he could hardly move, and he kept begging we need, listen, I need to be on the beach. I, we, they, I can lead these men. These men are going to need encouragement, and I, I can encourage them. And so finally, against you know, the fact he was the grandson of a president, and the fact of his age and all that was wrong with him, they finally said, okay, you can go. And so he gets on the beach, and just magnificent leadership, magnificent leadership, kind of a folksy kind of guy. You know, they land on the wrong beach, not by his fault, but because of where they got put off. And, and Theodore Roosevelt Jr. goes, you know, we're at the wrong beach. Well, that's all right. We'll start the war from right here. And that's what they did. 
And if you saw the movie, one of the quotes he's famous for is that he's sitting there and a young soldier runs up and hides behind this piece of obstacle that, that Theodore Roosevelt Jr. is hiding behind also, or, or um, behind. And so Theodore Roosevelt looks at this guy, Jr., and looks at him and goes, Son, where's your rifle? <laughs> and the young boy, young man, scared to death, says, It's back there, sir. He said, Well, son, go and get it. Surely before this day is, is over, you're going to need it. A soldier without his weapon is doomed to perish. And a Christian without a grasp of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is destined spiritually not to perish, but to live in defeat. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you don't have and I don't have a full concept of all the victory that God has in mind for us. But it hinges on this book. Every week that Dakota, one of my favorite people, is here, we have a conversation. And he came up this morning, and I said, Now, Dakota, you know we don't have our counseling session, tongue-in-cheek again, you know, after church. He goes, no, no, I want to ask you a question. And you had that line last week, that, that statement last week, that, that part of the battle of the mind is that there's a line that leads with a lie, that leads with a label, that leads with a liability. And I said, yeah, and we need to overcome that. Yeah, how do we do that? And I thought for a moment, and I said, Dakota, it has to be this book. It has to be this book. And he said, I agree. I agree. There is so much authority, power, and victory in the Word of God. And when I finally leave here one day, I will hope it will be said of this pastor that he faithfully taught the Word of God and he encouraged me to be a student of the Word of God. I want us to be a church of the book. I want us to be believers of the book. Now, this sword is unique in a couple of ways. Um, first one is this. It's the only piece of armor that, that Paul describes right here. You know, you really had to go to other parts in, in the book of, of Ephesians to really get the breastplate of righteousness or, to, or the, the belt of truth. He taught that, but he taught it in different parts. But right here, he tells us, he describes it. He says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he gives us this. The first thing I want to jump on is that understand that what he's talking about is the Word of God. And again, let me say it one more time. There's no book like the book. There is no book like the book. I, this, it's very significant to me. And y'all know I'm not a real deep person, but it's very significant to me that there is not a Word of God uh, revision number 1.1 or 1.2. You know, different softwares, uh, different operating systems um, all come out with revisions. While there may be different translations, there is only one word of God. Only one word of God. And the reason why is God got it right first. Um, we're so pleased to have Jennifer with us home, home this week, uh, this, this weekend. And I asked her, I said, so Jennifer, how many, how many books are in the word of God? You know, and she said, 66. I said, good preacher's kid. 
good preachers get. And it's good to know these numbers, I think. You know, let me share one more time. 66 books written by approximately 40 authors, over a 1,500, that's a millennium and a half, in case you haven't figured it out, a millennium and a half period, okay, starting about 1,600 B.C. and ending about 100 A.D., about that time span. No other book. Someone say, no other book. No other book has this. Not any, not any, not any sacred writings in the world can match the Word of God. That demands our attention. That demands our careful evaluation. I mean, again, if this was just one of 25 that met these unusual criteria that have stood the, the test of time, you kind of go, well, you know. But you've got to go, well, you know, when you think about nothing else in the world matches the Holy Word of God. It's just incredible. But, but then there's something that Paul says. It goes beyond the Word of God. He adds in the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Now, we all know, and again, I don't have time to go into it, but most of us understand that when a person becomes a Christ follower, when they become a believer, that that the the very presence of God, the the Holy Spirit of God, lives in a person, becomes part of their DNA, their spiritual DNA. And so it becomes part of us. And when you take the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and hook it up with the Word of God, it becomes something very, very formable. And that's really where we're going today. We're going to spend most of our time. The Word of God is powerful. It's a powerful book. But when you hook in the Holy Spirit, it multiplies. It multiplies. Watch this. Everybody knows that you measure earthquakes with the Richter scale. That's right, Richter scale. That's exactly right. Now, here's what's cool. A magnitude 1 on the Richter scale is about the equivalent force of blowing up an ounce of TNT. Okay, so if you have a magnitude 1 earthquake, the energy released is about that of blowing up one ounce of TNT. It multiplies upon itself. By the time you have a point, or excuse me, an 8 on the rector scale earthquake, it's equal to blowing up 600 million tons of TNT. The scale builds upon itself. It's simply not eight times stronger. It's times, 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 times. And when you take this marvelous book, put it in the hands of a believer in Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit living within them, and the Holy Spirit begins working in this marvelous book, it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And you just need to understand today that the power of the Word of God in your life and in your hands, you cannot imagine. So it's special because it's the one word, okay, it's the one time that Paul explains the armor, but secondly, it's the only offensive piece. It's the only offensive piece. The armor is designed to protect the soldier, but not this weapon. This weapon is an offensive weapon. You know, George Washington alluded to this The actual saying didn't come from him, but he expressed the idea and someone put it in these words. The best defense is a good offense. The best defense is an offense. And I think almost too often as Christians, we sit there and we we hunker down on defensive mode. We've got to learn the word charge. You know, going back to D-Day, this just popped in my brain, another saying 
there's going to be the two kinds of people left on the beach. You know, those who got up, were there and left, and those who stay and die. Christians, God has called us to victory. And we've got to understand it's great to have a defensive mode, but the defensive mode is, the best idea is, a good offense. You know, again, Washington put it that way. My mama used to say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And if you'll understand that you put the Word of God into your heart, into your life, when you can be able to quote it, when it comes alive to you, there is great, great power in that. So the best offense is a, the best defense is a great offense. Now, there are two kinds of swords that the Roman soldier would carry. Now, you remember we talked about one last week? Remember the helmet? We talked about the broadsword. It was three to four feet long. It wasn't really that sharp. It mainly was designed to knock your head off. Okay? So you would swing, two-handed, you would swing this weapon, aim for the head, and hopefully crack the skull or something worse than that. So the Romans designed that, that helmet with ridges here and ridges here. It came down and covered here and covered the back of the neck. The whole idea was to deflect the blow of the broadsword. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about that, that almost like a dagger, almost like sword. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, we have a picture of one of them, a reproduction of one. And it's about 18 to 20 inches long. It was sharp to the point of being a razor on each side. And then the edge of it, the end of it, was as sharp as a needle. And the whole idea was this was to be used in hand-to-hand combat. It was to be used in close proximity to the enemy. And this thing was fierce. In the hands of a trained soldier, many men would run from it. It was that good. It was that strong. And this is the weapon that Paul says we should use. Now, now as we hopefully understand that if you realize that it was made for hand-to-hand combat, then it appears that Paul is teaching us that sometimes Satan's going to get real close to us. You know, if you ever a person talk to you and get in your face, you know, like, back up, dude, especially if there's a little halitosis going on, back up, give me a little space, you know. Well, we need to understand, as, as we are believers in Christ, Satan loves to get in our face. And what a golden opportunity to use this weapon. Now, now there are three words I want to share with you today that are used in the Word of God for the Word of God. The first is grafe. Grafe. Grafe simply means the, the printed page, the book. The printed page, the book. And sometimes in the Old and New, or in the New Testament, that word is used, grafe. Now, I want you to understand, again, we have many translations today. And I know, again, we all have our favorites. But understand that as long as a translation is accurately translated, it maintains itself that it is the Word of God. So sometimes that would be a King James. Sometimes it would be a Holman Christian Standard. Sometimes it would be the ESV. Uh, different translations. And that will look like all those are the graphes. All those are the graphes. And it's really hard for us sometimes in this new technology to understand that if you have an electronic Bible, it's still graphe. It's still graphe. If you have an iPhone or an Android device or an, a tablet, when that appears on that screen, even though it's not printed paper, is still the grafe. Now, I hope that we never lose this printed book. 
I, I don't know how long this world's going to go on, but I'm hoping we never lose the printed book. But understand that if you have an electronic Bible, it's the graphe. If you have a paperback Bible, it's still the graphe. Um, if you have a, a leather-bound $500 Bible, yes, it's the graphe. So that's one word that the Bible uses to describe itself, the book, the printed page. Now, the second word is logos, logos. And that simply is the message of the book, the message of the book. We're going to hopefully look at a scripture this morning um, that describes logos. I'll let you see it. I'll show it. It said, this is what logos looks like in the word of God. So it's the message. So hopefully at the end of the day, I would have done somewhat of a, of a job presenting Logos to you today. We open Scripture. We look at Scripture. We talk Scripture. We teach Scripture. That's when the Logos does its wonderful work. When we come and we hear a sermon, we go to Sunday school class, hear a biblical lesson. Maybe sometimes when you get up in the morning and, ladies, you're doing one of your Beth Moore or your uh, Priscilla Schreier studies or another study, guys, studies that we do, those are opportunities for the Logos to work into our life. Now, here's what's amazing. When it comes to this scripture, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Paul does not use graphe. Paul does not use logos. Paul uses the third word, which is rhema. Rhema. And rhema is unique in the sense that it literally means the utterance of God. It's the spoken word of God to us. He might say, what does that look like, Dwayne? That sounds like a little bit, you know, a little twilight zone there. You know, what, what does that mean? Okay. I know this is true, but I'm going to ask it as a question. And don't answer. It's, it's rhetorical. So, have you ever been sitting in a building like this and some teacher is up there teaching the Word of God? And it seems like the preacher has been reading your mail. Has there ever been a time in your life when a teacher is teaching and you want to know, did he bug your house? I know it's true, because going out that door, invariably about once every other week, someone will say, Dwayne, that was for me today. You know what that was? That's Rama. That's Rama. That is the Holy Spirit speaking truth specifically from the Word of God into your life. Have you ever, have you ever been studying? You're, you're doing your quiet time. And I mean, and you know what I'm talking about, if you're, again, if you're, if you're a little bit of a church person, you know exactly what I'm fixing to say and you understand it. Have you ever been reading the Word of God and like a page, a, a scripture like leaps off the page and smacks you in the face and goes instantly to your heart? And you go, wow, wow. Now, I can't tell you when, should have wrote it down, should have wrote it down, but that's what happened with Psalm 37, 23, and 24 with me. And, and again, if you know from last week, you know, I'm just one of those guys that really wrestle with failure. I mean, when I fall on my face, I just, I have this great guilt trip going on. And again, you've heard me say this verse now probably 50 times. You know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and God delights in his way. And even if he fall, he will not be utterly cast down because God picks him up with his hand. 
That was one of those times. I mean, I instantly memorized it. It just leaped off the page. It's like, Dwayne Taylor, you've wrestled long enough with this failure. You've got to understand something. I'm directing your path. I delight in your path. Yes, you're going to fall down. But I'm not going to leave you on the floor. I'm going to pick you up. You've got verses like this. That's the rhema. It's when a verse becomes alive specifically in your life. You may be going through a time where you can't forgive. You're wrestling with anger and a verse pops off the page. That's rhema. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through the word of God into your life. Hugely important. And here's what's cool. Ask me, rhetorical again. Ask me if I've ever shared Psalm 37, 23, and 24 with anybody else. Dozens of times. You come to me and you say, Brother Dwayne, I'm struggling. Well, let me tell you a verse. Now, I've not even known Psalm 37, 23, 24 if Ramah hadn't happened. I knew Ramah because God spoke it into my heart and burned it in there. That's what we want to happen. It benefits us personally at that moment, but it also benefits other people. Do you get it? you understand? you understand? You know, yes. I'm glad we got Grafe. I'm glad whether you use an iPhone or an iPad, whether you've got a leather bound or a paper bound, whether it's King James or Holman Christian Standard or ESV or one of others that are, that are good, valid copies of the Word of God. Glad we got this. But I'm glad it goes beyond that. I'm glad for the message of the Grafe. I'm glad for the Lagos. I'm glad as we study the Word of God, it just imprints itself. It gets in our spiritual DNA. It becomes a part of who we are. It impacts our life in a general way. Some, some of you people are going to jump right into Operation Christmas Child because of the Lagos message that's more blessed to give than receive. You've heard that and you believe that and it's impacted who you are as a person. Some of you are going to be more joyful as people because you're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where Paul said, be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So I'm glad for the Lagos. But I'm glad for Ramah. I'm glad the way God penetrates our hearts with that double-edged sword and gets into our hearts. Now, the Bible says... A whole lot about itself. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to basically just read. I've got plenty of notes. But we're going to look at three scriptures real quick. And I'm just going to read them to you. And we'll make just a couple of editorial comments. Because I want you to write down the reference. It's on your sermon sheet. I want you to write down the reference of these. And get these into your heart. So you'll understand what the word of God says about itself. Now the first one is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's so good. For the word of God, and by the way, that's Lagos. That's Lagos. The word of God, Lagos, the message of the printed page. For the word of God is living. It's like it was printed yesterday. It's effective. Oh, it speaks to our hearts. And watch this. Look, look at the analogy. And sharper than any double-edged sword. The same picture that Paul used back in Ephesians chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews uses now. And that double-edged sword, well, we could have got really graphic. There's a great story in the Old Testament I just couldn't bring. My wife would not 
approve. I'm positive. But it's a great story in the Old Testament about the use of a dagger, you know. But this sword was so sharp, one, it would penetrate poorly made armor. Two, if it got near the edge, it went straight to the heart. And this logos, the living word of God, is like a two-edged sword that can penetrate as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. In other words, this message of the logos, like a two-edged sword, can get into us. And when it gets into us, it changes us. Now, here's the deal. Too often, we want to wear the Word of God like clothes. Now, I hope you like my outfit. I wore my special green tie that doesn't match anything I've got on, but Judy wasn't there to tell me not to, so hey, okay. So I hope you're going, okay, he's got on a shirt and pants, but this does not define who I am. When the Word of God penetrates our hearts, it defines who we are. It changes us. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the logos, it penetrates, it changes us. Second one is this. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. These are scriptures I've taught many times, and Brent, I'm sure you have. Dave, I'm sure you have. Preachers have. Because these are the key scriptures about the Word of God. Here's what Timothy says. All scripture. How much? Okay, okay, not just your favorites, not just the ones you agree with. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's like literally that means God breathed, you know, from God, okay? It's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for instructing on how to live the law of God. Remember, you go and you you listen to a sermon and you, you hear thoughts from the Word of God and the Word of God teaches us how we ought to live. It's teaching. It's rebuking. You know, sometimes when you've got, I don't know, and you don't, you know, the votes sitting around you don't know, but you know there's something going on in your life that only God knows, and it's not really good, and all of a sudden your heart's about to break, and I didn't mention it, and your friends didn't mention it, and your wife didn't mention it, and no one else mentioned it, but like you're a Christ follower, and the Holy Spirit's like going, da 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 You ever had that feeling before? That's for the Word of God, and it's good for rebuking. Hey, it's good for correcting. It's good for correcting. I, I remember when I was a kid. You know, I had like a misinterpretation of Scripture because I was only 10 years old, so it didn't matter. I was reading the book of Revelation, maybe for the first time. I don't know. I'm reading it. I'm going along, you know, and I, and I read these words. And all this shall happen in divers places. Go, King James. And I said, oh. it's like I discovered. That means all this stuff is going to happen next to the ocean because divers only... I'm telling you the truth, okay? Divers can only be around water. I'm not sure how long it took me to figure out divers meant many. Divers meant me. I had a misinterpretation of the Scripture. So, so the Word of God is good for correcting error. The Word will correct a misinterpretation of the Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, it's also good for training in righteousness. In other words, you're a brand new believer in Jesus, and you kind of go, what am I supposed to do? We got a book for that. It's called The Incredible Word of God. Amen? Amen? So, so, so the man of God, the woman of God, the student of God, the child of God, 
may be uh, complete, mature, and equipped for every good work. Now, give me about another couple minutes because I can't quit this one. Because in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, now all we can do is read this. Okay, because this is like one of my favorite scriptures. That's this in Luke four and Matthew four are just incredible favorite scriptures. All right, but it teaches an incredibly powerful truth. This is when Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, let me just read it to you, Matthew four one. And by the way, this is Ramah. This is Ramah. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he fasted. 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, and by the way, the tempter will come, just a freebie, the tempter will come to him. He said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, let me just give you a little, and you figure out the rest of them yourself. Let me give you just a little picture here. What's the big deal? Jesus is hungry. He's right where God told him to be in the wilderness. He's hungry. Satan comes and says, hey, if you're the son of God, or some translations say, since you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread and you'll have plenty to eat? The implication is, do what God won't do for you. You do what God won't do. We are good at this. You know, sometimes, you know, but God becomes the last resort. We'll do everything we can. If we can't figure it out, what do we do? We call on God. We call on God. So the idea is here, God's not taking care of you. Since you're the son of God, you have the ability to take care of yourself. So why don't you turn these stones into bread? There's much more going on than at the surface. Now look what Jesus says. This is the important part. Verse 4. But he answered and said what? There it is. Rema. Jesus, because he has an edge on us because he's known as the word of God, but he has an edge. But Jesus responds with Ramah from his very nature. It is written. It is written. The word of God was in the son of God so he could respond with the word of God. When the tempter comes into your life, what's the best response? Well, my psychiatrist said... My preacher said, my mama said, those are nice, I guess, to some degree. But the best one is, the word of God says. You're going yeah, to find Satan runs from the word of God. It's bigger and stronger than him, he knows it. So Jesus responds and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What great wording. He simply says this, hey... I don't live by bread. My father's in control, and that's good enough for me. He goes down a couple more times, and we won't go through them. You can find them yourself. Another time, it is written. And you know what? Watch this, watch this, watch this. You know what Satan does? He quotes Scripture incorrectly. Be careful that you understand that Satan knows Scripture, and sometimes he'll throw Scripture in your face, usually out of context. Usually a misinterpretation of, but he'll throw scripture at you. What was Jesus' answer to that? It is written. Third time, la da 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 What was Jesus' answer? It is written. Guys, I'm telling you. Your marriage, your job, your life, your parenting skills, your relationship with your parents, 
your relationship with authority in your life, all meshes better when the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, comes together. And that Richter scale effect kicks in. It's like compound interest. Interest that compounds upon itself. I'm telling you, there is power in the Word of God and there is power in the Rhema when the Holy Spirit speaks that Word back into our lives. So I want to encourage you. I've said this so many times recently. I want to encourage you to become a student of the Word of God. How important? Huge. Huge. So I'm going to ask you as a believer, the bottom line, Understand that the Word of God is crucial in the victory that you enjoy on this earth as a believer in Jesus Christ. And trust me, there might be someone out there who needs to hear the rhema that God spoke to you, and you can share it with them. Become students of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Well, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this. Father, I just want to pray for us. We have such a tendency to to take the Word of God and undervalue it. So I'm asking, Father, that you'll take that logos, that message of the book. Help us to learn and to saturate our lives with it. May it impact every area of who we are. Husbands and wives, moms and dads, sons and daughters, employees and employers. Father, may we allow it to saturate who we are. But Lord, also, thank you that the Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts, speaks into our lives. Thank you for the Rhema. May we place ourselves in such positions where we hear and understand, Holy Spirit, when you are speaking this truth into our hearts, straight off the pages of the Lagos. And then may we treasure it, just like Mary did in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Mary treasured these things in her heart. Father, may we treasure when your Holy Spirit speaks truth in us. May it find permanent residence in who we are for our benefit as believers, but also for the benefit of those. Can I just pray for every mom and dad, especially the ones who are uh, in the middle part of their life? Father, that moms and dads would have the, the logos and the, and the rhema in their hearts so they can share it with their kids, so they can share it with their children. Father, I pray for that today. Now, Holy Spirit, you know the needs of folks. There may be some folks here who've, who've never made that decision to follow Christ. There's some who may need to make it public. There's some might, who might need to follow in baptism. Perhaps you've spoken to some folks' hearts about joining our fellowship. Or maybe we just need to pray. Whatever the need, Father, this decision time is yours. And we place it in your hands. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.